the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand Them for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, questions about church. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877 877- 630-KSLR, that's 630-5757. If you have questions, you can email them by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be safe and connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, it's Wednesday. That means we got some stuff going on here tonight. I'm going to be starting a brand new Old Testament book for our Wednesday night Old Testament studies. We're going to be starting in 1 Kings. Um, tonight, we begin the process of saying goodbye to David. And, uh, and we say goodbye to him in the next chapter. Uh, and then we begin to lay uh, what is a pretty sad history of Israel and their leaders out. Um, you know, the historical books are, are important for me personally. Um, I, I find them wonderfully challenging, um, but also instructive. Explains a lot about what we're going through in our nation thousands of years later. So, First uh, Kings, we begin tonight. Uh, to Paul, uh, Paula will be with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program, our first date day show of 2022. Um, and uh, ladies, especially you, if you have any questions or uh, comments for Paula, she will be here and ready to take them. Uh, one final thought, and then we'll get to some questions. You can tell my voice is still struggling a little bit, so thank you for your patience. Um, uh, I've gone through my whole life without being allergic to anything. And in about the last five years, mountain cedar has been killing me. So I would appreciate your prayers for the program and for the Bible study tonight. Okay, let's get to some questions. Jeremy wants to know, uh, Pastor Ron, when do you think the rapture is going to happen? Jeremy, nobody knows. Nobody knows when the rapture is going to happen. I wish I knew. I can tell you, I think that it's going to happen soon. Now, soon, biblically, can't be described chronologically. In the Bible, soon means sudden. Jesus says, uh, I am coming soon. Look up, I'm coming soon. Uh, but, but what he means by that is I'm coming suddenly. In other words, there won't be any opportunity to repair or to prepare for it. And it could happen today, it could happen um, uh, a week from now, it could happen 10 years from now, it could happen 20 years from now. Uh, But when it happens, it will be so sudden that there's no turning back, there's no time to prepare, there's no opportunity for repentance. So Jeremy, what we need to do is live our lives every day like the rapture of the church is going to happen that day. 
you know, I've said this often on the program, but in the first century church, in large part, its power was a result of early Christians looking at that eastern sky every day, every single day, thinking today could be the day. And because they believed that this could be the day, they were busy about the Lord's business. They didn't get involved in the kingdoms of this world. They didn't get involved um, uh, whatever their cultural involvement would have been in politics like we do. They were involved only in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that if we would return to that urgency, that sense of, boy, this could happen at any moment, I need to be serving Jesus, uh, I believe we'd see more people get saved than we could possibly imagine. So, Jeremy, nobody knows. Don't listen to anybody who tells you they know when it's coming. We just know it's coming. It's going to happen, I believe, soon, chronologically. But for sure, it will happen soon slash suddenly whenever Jesus gets ready. I look around at the world that we live in, and not just our world, but the world completely. And I see the world that's described in Second Timothy chapter 3, when Paul, speaking of the urgency of the very last days, he said, but mark this, Timothy, in the end, in the last days, there will be terrible or perilous times. And then he describes what those perilous times are. And Jeremy, we're living in those times now. So look up, be ready, and every day you're here, then our responsibility is simply to occupy. Just prepare. Jesus is coming, and the way we prepare is just be with Jesus and follow his lead and take every opportunity you get to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Here is a question to, uh, from Paul. Uh, it says, Pastor, my children are being exposed to gay and trans ideology in elementary school. What can I do about this? I can't afford private education. Paul, this is one of the most difficult uh, questions I think that parents, Christian parents in particular, have to deal with in the world that we live in. Um, uh, Let me say, I am uh, outraged that Christian education, private Christian education, is so expensive. Now, obviously, you probably know, Paul, we have a free school, but we are very limited in terms of space. We have like 135. I think this year we went up to to 137 kids, uh, and we can't fit anybody else in. But our school has now, in its 22nd year, been free from the very beginning. Um, What you've received freely, Jesus said, give freely. And when he spoke that to my heart all those years ago, I knew that he meant that we're not to charge for this. Everybody else charges for it, but he wanted to do something different. And in doing so, he's proven that I think churches could um, afford it. I think God would provide for it. I think this is a step of faith that uh, God would provide for. And I say that based on my experience over 22 years now with him. You know, one of the great things, Paul, we've got a, a, a pastor and some leaders in his church coming out here at the end of January uh, from Oklahoma. And they're going to spend a couple of days with this looking at the school because God's put it on their heart to do a free school as well. So I would first talk to your pastor um, I would ask him if there's any consideration to starting a school. Um, short of that, um, I would I would consider homeschooling only, only Paul. If you or your wife, in this case, are gifted teachers, I, I think it's a terrible mistake to homeschool just to keep your kids from being exposed to these things. I think if you don't have the gift to teach, I think it's a disservice to to your children, but also to you. (laughs) I think a a cedar break. I thought I was going to sneeze, but I didn't. Um, So, Paul, um, um, this is a matter for prayer. Uh, but, But let me just encourage everybody out there. There's no reason that public school, or I mean private school, has to be this expensive. Ask your leaders, your pastors, to take a step of faith. Now, they may sort of rebuff you and say, well, nobody does that. You could say, well, yeah, there, there are some people that do this. And to have our children exposed to what you call gay and trans ideology at that age 
is evil, just pure evil. So, Paul, this is a matter for prayer. Let the Lord lead and guide. But I think this is something that churches need, people in the churches need to go to their pastors and their the leaders of their churches and talk about this stuff. I know pastors have a heart for this. And when I've talked to, to other pastors about doing a free school, they say, well, that's impossible. How are we going to do it? Where's the money going to come from? And and I always tell them, until you take that step of faith, you'll never find out. But I think if they start getting approached by people in their church, explaining the situation, we don't want our children exposed to the evil in public schools. Um, and then ask them to pray about it. And then you keep this constantly in prayer before the Lord. Uh, I'm hoping in these last days, Paul, that the Holy Spirit will move on lots and lots of people's hearts to, to pray over this, and he will move the hearts of the leaders in the church. So, Paul, that's the best I can do. We have a very long waiting list for our free school, and I will say it has been an unbelievable blessing. Schools are always tough for churches. Um, sometimes you see the ungodly side of parents and families when you have a, a free school. But all of the difficulties have been worth it by far to see some kids. Let me just take two more minutes. I don't have anybody waiting on the line. Um, we have seen children thrive. Children who wouldn't have lasted minutes in public school. Children who had been bullied beyond anything reasonable. Children that just didn't fit in. And we've watched them grow and develop. We've seen so many kids get saved. Not all of our kids are Christians. We can't make them be Christians, but we certainly expose them to godly men and women in the church. They're teachers and staff, but we we, we also expose them to um, more Bible than, than any school could imagine as well. And to see what God does is a, a, an amazing thing to be a part of. And I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it for anything. So I hope that helps Paul a little bit. Natalie says, when I share my faith, people often respond by saying that Christians are hypocrites. Should we stay quiet until the church is more unified in following Jesus? Um, Natalie, you know, the, the world, that's sort of a, a dishonest flair that they throw up. Well, I would go to church, but it's full of hypocrites. What I usually say is, look, you can join us. You're right. Churches are full of hypocrites. We're Christians. We're not perfect. But you're a hypocrite. You'd fit right in, so why don't you come? So share your faith, Natalie. Can keep doing it. Live your faith in such a way that people can see that you have something that they don't. And one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to be just a little bit tougher, um, thicker-skinned. Uh, we can't worry so much about what people think about us. Um Paul says that our battle is not against people in this world. Our battle is against the spiritual realm. It feels personal and it hurts. But it's not you they're rejecting. It's Jesus. One other comment, Natalie. If we all waited until we had everything figured out, until we were walking righteously with God 100% of the time, we would never share anything at all. That's the beauty of what we have to share. We are imperfect people. We keep messing up, but we keep going back and back and back to the fountain of forgiveness and restoration over and over and over. And I don't care who you are, believer or unbeliever, that sounds really, really good. I mess up and Jesus' arms are open for me to come back. So don't let somebody throw this false idea, this concept in your head that we need to be quiet until we get it all figured out. You share what Jesus has done with you and keep doing it. God is pleased and he's proud of you, Natalie. Keep doing it. Let's go to Alan on line one from San Antonio. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? 
Alan, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, fine, fine. I was just listening to your show, and uh, you were talking of... Uh, my heart goes out to that man that asked about uh, the Christian education and that he couldn't afford it. And it's um, it brought to mind I was uh, I was helping uh, Tommy Tommy King. I was helping him uh, put away chairs at, at, at your church, and um, we were putting some churches away in the. Um, we went to some uh, small elementary school rooms, and it reminded me of a little house on the prairie. Uh, forgive my comparison, but in Little House on the Prairie, the the, the church is also the school during the day, mm-hmm. and um, that was re- it reminded me of that. And in those days, and it was maybe the 1800s, but that that was really neat for me to see. And so it's a great work that you're doing uh, for these children, and uh, it, it's just so many things that comes to mind, but. When Jesus says, you know, the milestone will be hung around the neck of the person who uh, influences the people in a bad way, it's, it gets to be that serious, really, when when people, when there are false teachers and teaching children, and it's just deadly. So, anyways, God bless you for all the work you do with these children. Thank you, Alan. You're, you're really, really kind. You know, as always, when we're obedient to God, we're the ones that end up getting blessed. Now, we are a blessing to others as well, um, but we, we're the ones that end up getting blessed abundantly so to see what's possible with God. You know, um, um, Alan described a, a, a school building that, that turns into a church building and vice versa several times a week. Um, um, make use of what God has given you. And then when you're faithful, he'll give you more. And we've, we've been in such a, a, a fortunate position um, to be asked by God to do something that the rest of the world sees as impossible. And uh, yet God keeps stay sustaining us. And I just think that's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful blessing, Alan. Thank you very, very much. And hey, when you stop by and visited, thank you for, for helping out. You know, I don't know how many times, I know there's somebody in the school uh, who can tell you, uh, but I don't know how many times over our 21 years we've set up uh, a church or tore down a school and did it all over again. But our little building, bless, bless God's heart, he's we use every inch of space every single day, and it is it is an honor to be asked by God to do it. We'd like more space, but for that we need more money, and uh, as of right now, that's that's where we are. Thank you for calling, Alan. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Pamela wants to know in Romans seven. Was Paul calling himself a wretched man or someone else? Um, Pamela, that's autobiographical. Paul is calling himself a wretched man and and giving glory to Jesus. Now, I think part of what we miss sometimes when we're reading through Romans is the outline of the book. And in the first seven chapters, as Paul builds this perfect case for every man and woman a sinner and Jesus Christ uh, the only way uh, that, that sins can be forgiven. Um, he, he closes those seven chapters by by giving us his own experience. And what he's saying is he's wrestling with his flesh. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing, oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, and then he asks the question that I hope everybody asks, uh, who, who can deliver me? Who can rescue me from this body of death? And the answer, of course, is Jesus. And when he gets to Romans chapter 7, the last chapter, he immediately goes into Romans 8. Now, remember, there were no chapter and verse divisions uh, when the Bible was written. They were just simply letters. And so there's no break. And Paul concludes in the first verse of Romans chapter 8, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about what life in the Spirit is all about for the believer. So, Pamela, uh, it is, uh, it is, is uh, clear that he's speaking about himself, about his own experience, about the battles that he has with his own flesh. In other words, he was no different than you uh, or me. 
Um, he struggled in his walk with the Lord. We don't know for sure what his issues were. I think we have a hint in Second Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul was um, um, struggling with pride. Uh, because of conceit, this messenger from Satan was permitted to buffet him in the flesh. Um, and I think I think that was at least one of the issues that Paul had to deal with. Let's go to Aaron calling from Seguin on line one. Aaron, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, how you doing today? Aaron, I'm doing really, really well. Yes, I'm doing well. Thank you. Okay, good. I got a question. I'd like to hear your take on it. Yeah, you, you said some while ago about you know, those apostles and their, their passion and their desire to preach the gospel, you know. And, and uh, that's what they, you know, most of them were martyred because what they believe and they had experienced Christ in a personal and intimate way. And, 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 you know, I've seen a lot here lately about pastors or leaders in the church leaving the pulpit because uh, they were exhausted or, or, mm-hmm. or pastors having life coaches or uh, seeing psychiatrists on a, on a regular basis, and, and I just want to hear, you know, men. I think men of God that, you know, that supposed to be leaders and, and teaching others. What is your take on pastors uh, being exhausted, leaving the pulpit, then uh, uh, going to, going to seek out their some other passion or something? But I mean, and, and I'm saying this because I'm a pastor myself, and and the reason I pastor the church, my purpose or uh, my reason for pastoring. It's my love of Christ. It's it's because yep. I know I'm a savior, deliverer, rescuer, and, and, and that's who he is to me. And my passion is to is not not only to encourage the believers and what an awesome savior we have, but if somebody maybe in the congregation that don't know Christ, but to point them to the one that saves and sets people free. And and yeah. I just want to hear your take on about pastors leaving the pulpit because they they're exhausted and, and all this other stuff. Thank you, Pastor. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this because this is one of my um, hobby horses here. I, I love what I do. I can't imagine not doing it. Now, Pastor Aaron, you know that sometimes what we do is very hard. Our hearts get broken continually. Uh, we're around a lot of pain. It's it's sort of like the guy that wants to be a doctor. Are you sure you're going to be around sick people? Well, you and I, Aaron, we're around a lot of sick people. And, and we deal with their pain every single day. We watch people reject the, 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 the counsel that we give them. And we know their lives are going to fall apart. And it takes a toll on us. It really, really does. But when we are walking in the Spirit of God, there can't be any thought of quitting. I, I'm at the age, uh, Pastor, where people are asking me, well, when are you going to retire? And and I just say, man, I'm still working on getting tired. Um, people that get burned out are, are trying to serve God in their own strength rather than in the strength of God. And I, I just don't understand. My life coach is, is the, the, the 66 books of the Bible. Um, my life coach is the person of the Holy Spirit, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And, um, you know, the, the pastors that give up, and you're right, right now we're at a time uh, with with the last crazy almost two years now uh, with COVID and um, uh, churches struggling financially. Uh, there's a lot of pastors quitting, and they're, they're quitting at a rate that they've never quit before uh, in my lifetime as a pastor, I mean, it's just sped up. And I think what's happening is God is testing hearts. You know, Aaron, I said uh, when COVID started in 2020, February of 2020, I said to my church publicly, I said, this is going to be something that God is going to use to shake out his church. Um, not shake up, to shake out. And people that don't belong there are going to walk away. They're going to find reasons and justify going away. Um, I think the same principle applies for pastors. I think pastors who are serving uh, for themselves or serving for attention or serving so that people will listen to them or whatever the motive might be other than honoring Jesus Christ. You see, when the servant serves, it's not a volunteer mission. We have no choice. 
And you understand this, Aaron, and God bless you for it. You understand that we've been called by God, and since we're called by God, only God can send us away. And when we stop thinking about, uh, or when we start thinking rather about quitting, or it's getting really hard, then our focus no longer is on Jesus Christ. Our focus then is on us and how we feel and how people respond. And I think there's a whole lot of pastors who, for the last couple of years, they're going through a motive examination. You know, the Apostle Paul said that we're to examine our hearts daily to see whether we're in the faith. I think a lot of us are finding out that our motives aren't as pure as we thought or hoped they were. Uh, As for me, Aaron, and I'll pray for you and ask you to pray for me. Um, God bless you. Um, we, We simply need to hang in there because we don't have any choice. And every day we wake up to a new batch of grace for living And um, I tell my pastors here on staff all the time, we don't get bad days. We don't get days off. Um, All we get is Jesus, and he is more than enough. Great, great comment, Pastor. God bless you. We got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585. A quick reminder, tonight I'm going to be starting a brand new book in the Old Testament. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com on live stream. It is the book of 1 Kings, and uh, I love the historical books. Two other quick things before we go. My crack research department during the break um, estimated how many times our school has been, uh, uh, school and church have been broken down and set up uh, since 2000 when we started our school, and it's 887 times. Imagine that. And, and, you know, it gives people an opportunity to serve. It's always neat. If you were here tonight, we have smaller crowds on Wednesday nights, but if you were here tonight, um, at the end of the study, you'd see people that stick around and help un, uh, take the church down, put the school back up, and, and they do that throughout the years. Um, so 882 times. we got a lot of servants here. Uh, one other thing I want to say to Pastor Aaron, who just called, uh, I didn't have time to, to, to go off on this, but one of my pet peeves, Aaron, is is the pastors who take sabbaticals. Um, you know, people that work regular jobs, they don't get to, to say, you know, I'm burned out, so I need a sabbatical for my job. If they did that, they'd get fired. Um, and, and yet we have, we have pastors who will take large parts of, of a year, and in some cases, uh, I've known pastors who've taken a year or two years off with pay um, so they could go study or so they could go travel or so whatever, i got a book to write or something. You know what? Our job is to shepherd the flock of God. Our job is to teach him the word. And we need to be, as servants, we need to be more concerned about the health of our flock than our own health. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. Um, I think pastors should have time off. Um, Believe me, vacation, when it comes around for me and for Paula, I need it, and I'm ready for it. And Jesus and Paula and I, we have a really good time when we're away. Uh, Come back refreshed, that's that's fine. But um, to take large blocks of time off, um, just to get your head together, or, or I think it's—I I just don't think that's appropriate. I do think that sometimes we are trying to minister in the flesh. Uh, our lives aren't right with God. Our marriages aren't right with God, and uh, and it's impossible to serve God uh, fruitfully uh, when that's the case. And I think there are sometimes when it's appropriate to take to step away and take some time off, but. 
not just because you're tired or you're burned out or you're looking for more fulfillment. Our churches, Aaron, have turned into, um, I want to be kind, um, flesh factories. You know, it's all about making people feel good. And, of course, we need to feel good, too. And, and uh, you know, we pastors, we need to serve. We need to be grateful. We need to, to be quiet. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Thank you, Alan, again, or Aaron. I'm going to be praying for you. Michael says, Pastor Ron, I quoted you by saying babies are born sinners, and my mother-in-law got really upset with me. Where does it say that? Um, Michael, it's, it's John chapter 3. Jesus says we are born condemned already. Now, your mother-in-law is not being honest. All you got to do is be around the baby for just a few minutes, and you find out that they're sinners. Now, they're cute sinners, and they're precious sinners. But believe me, they are absolute sinners. They want only what they want. They want when they want it. And when they don't get what they want, they make sure everybody else is miserable. So um, you can quote over and over. I have a statement. I don't know how to access it really quickly, Michael, but um, um, from the Mayo Clinic, uh, one of the chief psychologists at the Mayo Clinic um, had a statement uh, that I, I came upon years ago about babies being dictators <laughs> by nature. And uh, uh, apart from, from being under control, they would turn into mass murderers. Um, our flesh it looks better, it feels better, it smells better when we're babies. But it's just as bad as when we get older. So tell your mother-in-law just to be honest about thinking about her experience with babies. Did she ever get angry with your wife? Did she ever get angry or frustrated when when she didn't get enough sleep at night? All of that because of a baby's flesh. They're born sinners. Now, here's the great thing, and you can tell her this, that while babies are sinners, they're not accountable for their sin because they don't have the ability to process their sin. So if a baby dies, that baby's going to go and be in heaven with Jesus. So it doesn't mean they're not going to be forgiven. It just means that they're sinners. We've got to be honest about the reality of that. Hope that helps. Here is a call-in question. Um, Alan. Hold back. Caught up in talking about how great the school is. Oh, Alan, who called earlier. I forgot to ask for continued prayer for my health as I struggle through some health issues. Alan, thank you for the reminder. Um, we, we do pray for you, and we're, we're going to continually keep you in our prayers for your health. Alan is a case of a, a man who called in the radio program, and he's been struggling with health issues for, for a long time. And I've gotten a chance to meet him a couple of times when he's when he's come by. As as you could tell, he visited a time or two. So, Alan, we will continue to pray for you. Here is a question from Brad. Um, what are your thoughts on charitable giving versus giving to a church? Um, Brad, as a Christian, the first place that we should give uh, is is to the body that. Jesus is assigned to us. I think it's very, very important. Wherever you're getting fed, um, um, you need to give to the church. You need to give generously, and you need to give um, um, uh, freely um, without having any expectations about how that money is going to be used. Now, having said that, um, it's perfectly fine to give to charitable organizations as well. Uh, you can give. Uh, it's your money. You can do with it as you want. But remember the principle that while I said it's your money, it's not really your money. It's just God's money that you're a steward over. And God doesn't require you to do anything. He wants you to give because you love him. He wants you to give because you're grateful. Um, but when you give, it needs to start with the church that you attend. And if you're not a member of a church, and when I say member, I'm not talking about official membership. Uh, here at our church at Calvary Chapel, we don't have official membership. Uh, we we kind of, anybody that shows up the second time, we kind of claim them as part of our body. 
But but when you're part of a church, giving is an indication of where your heart is. And Brad, I think a lot of times, and I'm not suggesting this is the case with you, but a lot of times people don't want to give to the church because they just give it. They don't see what happens to it. Uh, maybe they have some disagreements about how the church is, is, is spending money. Uh, and they want control over it. Remember, it's God's money. You have no control over it at all. So give. Now, if you are going to a church where you don't feel comfortable giving, you're going to the wrong church. It's that simple. So find a church where God will place you. He will use you. He will give you gifts to serve the body. And one of those gifts will be um, um, the gift of giving, and, and you, you need to support your church. So those are my thoughts, Brad. Joey said, oh, I've had this question for a long time, Joey. He says, is there any special significance to the number of fish being caught in the Gospel of John where it says he caught 153 fish, or they caught 153 fish? Joey, the only significance, and I know people that have tried to make um, way, way, way more out of this than they than they should have tried. Well, there's got to be some significance in the number, and they're trying to figure out what the numbers mean. Here's the special significance, okay? They didn't catch 152, and they didn't catch 154, and so it's reported that they caught 153. That's just the number. So it has nothing to do with anything other than than the accurate reporting, they caught 153 fish, which would have been a huge haul of fish uh, for the, the, the disciples who would be apostles. So that's all. There's no um, secret symbolism, um, no numerology. It's just they were reporting the numbers of fish. It's John chapter 21 uh, when the resurrected Christ is there. And uh, if you want to say there's anything that we could infer from it, is that when you're serving the risen Christ, because he's alive, not dead, then then your walk in this world is going to be an abundant walk as well. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Derek says, I struggle with feeling forgiven. I know I am, but there are times, lots of them, when I don't believe I am. Derek, this is a matter of faith. Are you going to trust your feelings, or are you going to trust what the Word of God says? And, and, and as simple as that may sound, this is more important than, than I can adequately communicate. We've got to decide, do we believe what the Word of God says? If you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. Derek, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, when the enemy is pushing buttons and saying, no, but how could God forgive you? Uh, When you're feeling guilty about something that you've done, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you're feeling guilty, you know that, that the devil is the source of that guilt or that condemnation. So are you going to believe what's written or are you going to let how you feel affect what you believe? It's that simple. This is just unbelief, pure and simple. And uh, I personally think it's it's presumptive to say, well, God said he was going to forgive me, but I'm not sure I really believe him. I really trust him. So, Derek, this is a struggle you got to win. And the only way to win it is to be committed to believing what the Word says. Your feelings matter not at all. What Bible says, what God has written, you'll remember that when Jesus was taken to the wilderness to be tempted directly by the devil, Jesus didn't have conversation with him. Just when the devil tried to to, to tempt him, he responded with three words, It is written. On three separate occasions. It is written. If we can respond, it is written. But I don't feel like God's forgiven me. God says, I will never love you or leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. I, I remind that to people who say they don't feel God's presence. 
So these are really important decisions that have to be made, Derek, and the only way to make them is to decide once and for all that you're going to believe and hold on to that which is written. The enemy wants to destroy your joy, your security. you got to fight. you got to fight, Derek. Anthony says, are we supposed to take the re- the really old ages of people in Genesis literally or figuratively? It's impossible, I think, to take them literally. Um, Anthony, I don't know why you would say it's impossible to take them literally. Now, for us, uh, it, it doesn't, um, you know, the, the idea of somebody being 969 years old, that's Methuselah, the oldest person who's ever lived. We have to remember that, that this was before the accumulative effects of the fall of the world. And man was created to live in the cool of the garden with God forever. So before the flood, people lived for 900 years. After the flood, then the, the typical lifespans began dropping very, very quickly. Uh, and that's just sort of the curse of this world catching up with, with, with a fallen world. Uh, but, but Anthony, if you don't take them literally, then what do you make of the emphasis, especially in Genesis, of the age of the people? I'll give you an example. Methuselah, I just mentioned, was the oldest person ever, 969 years. Well, Methuselah is a picture. I mean, he's real, and he lived that long, but he's a picture of the, the long-suffering of God or the grace of God. Because Methuselah was the son, it was announced, when he dies, it, judgment, will come. And it shows God's patience that he was the oldest man who's ever lived. So you have to take them literally, because if you don't, then we don't have anything in our Bibles that we can depend on. So if these are just numbers that are thrown out there, then we, we really have a hermeneutic problem and we can't trust our Bibles at all. So, Anthony, you've got to take them literally. Um, people lived a long time because they were designed to live a long time. Um, you know, we can go back in, in history um, 100 or 200 years even, and we can see that people didn't live as long as they do now. If if you go back to one of those times and say, you know, people routinely can live to be 100 years old. They say, oh, no, that's just impossible. But here we are. Medicine is good, uh, better, certainly. Uh, we pay more attention to our health, to our diets. And so people are living longer now than, than, than in their short-term history. Uh, in the beginning, when all things were perfect, the decay or the degradation of our human bodies just took a lot longer. So yes, take them literally by all means. And um, any suggestion to the contrary uh, just destroys the credibility of our Bibles. I'll go one step further, Anthony. The book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, if that cannot be taken literally... If Adam and Eve weren't the very first two people ever on this earth, if they weren't created perfect, not as Neanderthals, they weren't created perfect, um, then every major doctrine of our Christian faith in the New Testament falls apart. Every single one. If Adam and Eve weren't first, then what about original sin? So the idea is you have to take these things Literally. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we got a little bit of time for a phone call or two still. AJ says, Pastor on in John twenty one twenty four, it's often used to support oral traditions or the passing on these traditions, making them equal in authority with the Bible. Uh, do you agree? Um, no, this is just, you know, sometimes we forget the the Jewishness of our New Testaments. And oral traditions was always a huge part of the Jewish faith. But the oral traditions had to be consistent with the Word of God, the revealed Word of God. Pass these laws down to your children. Write them on your doorposts and keep them on your foreheads. And, and the idea is... There's nothing wrong at all with oral traditions or the passing of those traditions on, but they're based on God's revealed word. And 
in fact, if God's uh, word is on an equal authority level with the Bible, then it actually supersedes God's level. John twenty one twenty four says, This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. That, that, that particular verse, A.J., is simply... Uh, John saying this is eyewitness testimony. He's he's giving validity or credibility to all that was written in the Gospel of John. So remember, oral traditions are fine as long as they don't contradict the Word. But anytime you put anything on a level of authority with the Word of God, then you're on a really, really slippery slope, AJ. So... Um, all traditions are not equal in authority, never were intended by God to be. Let's go to our friend Reuben from Seguin on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron, and Happy New Year. Yeah, you too. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Pastor Ron, I have a question regarding Psalm 23. Uh, over the weekend, I was listening to, uh, I was just listening to different podcasts and and trying to just see, you know, you know what's out there, and you know, asking God to show me what's, you know, what to to take and what not to listen to. Uh, and Psalms twenty three, I never really like uh, tried to get the deep meaning of it. Um, but this one guy was talking about uh, verse five: "Thou preparest the table." Before me in the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Now, those are three different distinct uh, things. To me, they are separate. Uh, one, to me, one doesn't have anything to do with the other. Not that, you know, theoretically, I mean, uh, theologically, they're supposed to. But he said when it came about the anointed my head with oil, is a reference to what shepherds do to actual sheep, that they anoint, they're, they're, they they put oil on sheep's head. And I was wondering, is that true? No, it's it's not. Now, now to understand Psalm 23, you have to understand the, the background. This is King David as an old man looking back, reflecting on his life as a, a man after God's own heart. Uh, we remember that David was a shepherd. As a boy, he was a shepherd, and he took care of his sheep. And, um, um, I mean, he killed a lion and a bear uh, to protect a single sheep. When, when you know, when you were a shepherd in the ancient world, loss like that was expected, but not David would say, not on my watch. So David is really looking back on his life. Now, we know, Reuben, that David had been in some difficult situations. And by the way, I think three Wednesdays ago, I taught on this at our church. So you can go to calvaryessay.com and listen to the teaching that I did if you're interested, Reuben. All of our stuff, as you know, of course, is free. But this is David as an old man, and he's looking back on his life. And basically what he's saying is, look, as many times as I blew it, and we knew David blew it, The Lord is my shepherd. And that's truly from the heart of a shepherd. His job was to protect the sheep. And he's saying, God's job is to protect me. I'm one of his sheep. And when he says, I shall not be in want, he's looking around and he's thinking about the, 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 the flocks of sheep that were around him. And, and when he was, his sheep were better cared for than others. And David is looking back saying, you know, you're my shepherd and my, you've taken better care of me than even I could care for myself. And then he goes and describes all of the things that his shepherd done has done for him. And it really is sort of a capsulized history of David's life. When he gets down to verse 5, he's saying, um, you prepare my table. In other words, God is honoring David in the presence of his enemies, King Saul, uh, all of the others who would come against him over the course of his lifetime. Um, he said, in the presence of my enemies, you exalt me, you prepare my table. I didn't do it, you did it, and my enemies are going to see what you've done and how you've honored me. 
You've anointed my head with oil. That's a reference to David being anointed the king of Israel. And and he said, you know, you did that. I didn't do it. And then the, the final thought, my cup overflows. Reuben, he's simply saying, look, because you're my shepherd, I, I have more than enough. I have more than enough. I like to think of this, Reuben, as David um, sort of boasting, but boasting in the Lord. You know, Paul says, I will not boast in anything that I've done, but but I will boast in that which that God has done through me. Well, well, I think this is what David is doing in the Old Testament. He's looking around and, and picturing these scrawny sheep, and in the, in the distance there's wolves prowling around, and their shepherds aren't really paying attention. Maybe they're getting drunk. They're not taking care of them. But, but David says, no, I'm a big old fat sheep, and, and I'm big and fat, and I'm content because God provides everything I need, I need because God is my protector, uh, because God um, has made sure that my life was productive and fruitful for him. And, and even better is verse 6 when he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When God is your shepherd, that's a kind of security, Reuben, that God wants all of us to have as we walk with Jesus. So uh, go to calvarysa.com if you're interested, Reuben. Um, it was uh, three Wednesdays ago, um, so four from tonight, and it was the first study that I did in Psalms. Uh Uh, during the holidays thanks Ruben appreciate it thanks for tuning in remember Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the day day edition of the program tonight I'm going to be teaching 1 Kings chapter 1 may the Lord bless you and keep you Lord willing I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word we'll see you then Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.